This is a podcast from Rover. But first up today, a new report suggests that the New Zealand government investment in alternative proteins is very low compared to other countries. Now, this report was prepared by Food HQ and the Chief Executive, Dr Abby Thompson, joins us now. Abby, great to have you back on the show. How are you? Thank you, Dom. I'm very well, thanks. So, governments in nine out of ten other countries are investing more than we are in New Zealand in developing their alternative protein sectors. Why is this an important thing to be looking at? I think it's because this is an area that around the world consumers and governments are getting kind of excited about, both from the perspective of uh, what might it be that we're all going to be eating in the future, um, but also from the perspective of trying to look at how we can improve our food production systems so that they're going to be future-proof, so we can all be here and enjoying the wonderful countryside and uh, the, the environment that we live in while eating good, nutritious, delicious food in the future. And I think where a lot of um, the sort of thinking at the moment is going is that although there's going to probably be a place for our traditional meat and dairy for, for quite some time to come, there's actually really exciting opportunities in some of these um, alternative proteins or emerging foods. Um, and a lot of those other countries are jumping onto those and saying, hey, look at the opportunities that these produce. And at the moment, New Zealand's not really seeming to do very much about that. Okay, yeah, lots of lots of stuff to unpack there. Uh, let's start with the fact that there, you, you looked at other countries as well, those being Singapore, Netherlands, Australia, Canada, Denmark, Israel, UK, Ireland and Sweden, and uh, they're doing a heck of a lot more than we are. But what exactly are they doing? Is this in terms of R&D or is it money? What are other countries actually doing in this space? Well, it's a combination of all of the above, and different countries are doing different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that if we look across the ditch at Australia, for instance, um, they have been very clear about where they see their role um, in this sort of alt-protein space as being. For them, um, they have an existing plant-based sort of cropping um, part of the economy, and they are saying, hey, you know what, rather than us just... Uh, producing these sort of raw materials, this wheat and these, these peas and things, and sending them off overseas in that form, we could capture a whole lot more value for Australia and Australians by um, processing those into high-quality premium sort of plant protein and plant starch and plant fibre ingredients and then sending those off or actually then taking those and making those into foods in Australia that we then export. And so the Australian government uh, is co-funding significant infrastructure investments to allow them to do that. They've also got a really clear um, strategy around where they're going to invest and what they're going to do. They've also put quite a lot of money into the equivalent of our universities and Crown Research Institutes. Um, They have a slightly different model over there, but they've put a lot of money into that, into the R&D to help develop those um, and also to build talent uh, and, and form sort of partnerships between government and industry. They've also become a lot more aware of the need to look at their regulatory frameworks and to see how they can um, accelerate the ability for new um, innovations in this space to actually get to market. And so those are all the kinds of things that their government are looking at. Um, if we looked at, say, Singapore, they're taking it a step further where you know they are really doing almost everything that they can to enable this whole area to, to really flourish. And that involves 
regulatory changes that involve specific funding for talent development. It involves um, looking at how they put money into companies to make it easier for companies to grow. Um, and also how they even attract the smartest people in the world to go and work in Singapore in this area to help really make it a hot spot for these sorts of topics. Okay, so there's a lot going on in other in these other countries that have been looked at in this report, which is fair enough. There'll be people listening to this, Abby, going, well, um, why on earth do we want to go down that road? We're very good at farming here. Um, but I think you're talking about uh, uh, these two um, industries coexisting effectively. Well, I, I think that's the bit that's really exciting. For me, I think it's actually unhelpful if we think about it as we're either going to do what we currently do or we're going to do um, these sort of alternative proteins uh, type uh, farming practices. I think that the really exciting stuff is how can we potentially look at doing what some of what we currently do, but doing it in a way where perhaps we're linking it in a more circular economy approach with some of these others. How can we perhaps be taking some of the byproducts or the waste streams of our current farming um, processes and using those as inputs into to ways of producing new food. I'd love it if we were able to do things where maybe some of the, the things that are left over from the, the farming we do at the moment, maybe we feed it to insects and those insects are then fed to our aquaculture industry or into our, our chicken industry rather than us importing food to feed them, which happens at the moment. Mm. I'd love it if we'd be able to say, look, there's a, a byproduct of our forestry waste and we're going to take that and we're going to use it to, to then grow fungi and you know mushrooms and mycelium, which we're then going to be using to make them into to premium food products. Or we're going to be fermenting those and actually growing yeast and bacteria that we have modified to, to make high quality bioactives that are going to have real health benefits for us. So I think it's there's a lovely opportunity for this to enrich what we're doing. And yes, it's, I, I do think in the future we're probably going to have less meat and less dairy. But I think that if we can have it being really great meat and really great dairy, complemented by some of these other things, there's a really exciting food future for New Zealand. No doubt you keep an eye on different reports and studies and uh, news that comes out regarding alternative proteins, which um, obviously we do here as well. Interesting to note that, and we made this point over the weekend, the last... I don't know, month or so, there's been um, a couple of reports come out. One saying, look, um, you know, with red meat, not so great in terms of alternative proteins versus the real deal in terms of, uh, you know, being able to be absorbed by the body, all the nutrients and Mm -hmm. things like that. And then milk, the same sort of deal in terms of calcium, and they're not very comparable. Um, So I guess there's a lot of work to go in the alternative protein sector to uh, you know, make them viable alternatives. There is, Dom, and, and I think that one of the real problems we've got is, though, that consumers at the moment are not really buying these products. No, that's another nutrition. really good point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, I mean, I've, I've been, for a long time, have said, you know what, if, uh, if, I mean, I've got a seven-year-old daughter and she eats meat and she drinks milk um, because I, I would feel very uncomfortable with feeding um, the, the plant-based alter- milk alternatives to, to someone of that age where she needs that protein and she needs that calcium. Um, and at the moment, the types of plant-based alternatives that are out there for milk, they, they aren't nutritionally equivalent. However, there's also a a sort of a a thing to say, well, for a lot of us, as we get a bit older, we're getting enough calories and enough nutrition um, in other parts of our diet. 
and using some of those um, plant-based milks uh, to, to wet our breakfast cereal or to uh, keep the, the tannins down in our coffee or tea is really absolutely fine because we're not really using them as a nutritional sort of uh, product. And I think there's, there's still a whole heap of work to be done to improve them. But right now, consumers um, around the world, a fair number of them are buying these products regardless of the nutritional um, adequacy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, interesting point. Um, the contribution of governments uh, around the world, that's grown exponentially, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think that it's really interesting in the report we looked at the reasons that government was saying that they were investing um, and obviously for a number of them, and Australia would be one, it's been primarily because of the economic impact and economic benefits that they can see from it. But there are other countries, we say the Netherlands and a number of those in Europe who are really using environmental reasons as the drivers behind their investment in alternative proteins where they believe that um, the only way that they're going to be able to meet their various emissions and climate um, improvement targets will be by supporting a diversification um, away from only having the traditional proteins. And then you've got countries like Singapore and actually some of those in the Middle East as well who are investing in this because of food security reasons. So they feel very anxious, as you can understand after this past couple of years, around the, what might happen to their ability to feed their populations if there were really significant ongoing disruptions to the food supply and moving food around the world. So hang on a moment, how can they put more um, food production on, on their own soil? And so being able to do things like precision fermentation and cell-cultured meat and a number of those sorts of things involving small footprints, um, you know, that, that's really attractive to them. You um, released a report, or Food HQ at least did, uh, May of last year, uh, concluding that if we didn't, in this country, do more in this increasingly competitive space, basically the gist is we'll just get left behind and get overtaken by other countries, right? It said do do more and do it faster. Yep, and I think to be completely blunt, um, we are left behind at the moment compared to a number of the countries that we looked at in these reports. Um, the thing is whether we want to catch up, <laughs> if we do want to catch up, and what areas do we want to catch up? You know, where, where do we think New Zealand would like to play in this space? Because we're tiny, we can't do everything. So I would really love us to be kind of picking to maybe two or three areas that we think would work for New Zealand to, to be uh, really looking at investing and getting in behind to develop the capability, the infrastructure, um, and be, be able to start you know, seriously looking at how we can bring some of those products into our, our overall portfolio. Um, I think it's one of those challenging things where it's really obvious for our meat and dairy sector why we have a comparative advantage. We grow grass really well. In fact, as the rain is falling on my beautiful green lawn <laughs> out there, um, you know, it, it's what we do well in New Zealand, and we convert that into milk and meat very efficiently. Um, it's not so clear-cut for some of these alternative protein sources why you would do it here in New Zealand and why New Zealand would win against some of these other countries that may be closer to lots of consumers or have large existing um, sort of systems of arable cropping and things that they can build from. But I think, you know, we've got to make a choice of either we say, OK, actually, that's not for us and we, we intentionally to say, no, we're going to just double down on what we currently do and we accept that, you know, there are some of the compromises and potential consequences of that or else 
we've got to make a decision about what we are going to do mm. and then let's do it. And I sort of feel at the moment where there's a little bit of a we're drifting in a, a drifting in a bit of no man's land or purgatory of, oh, we're interested and we're keeping an eye on it, but we're not really being terribly proactive. And I think that's what we're hoping to this report may be part of trying to get to change. Let's make some decisions and then implement those decisions, whatever they are. Um, when we talk about the alternative meat and alternative milk, alternative proteins, uh, one of the things that's emerged in recent times is actually the production of these at the moment is uh, quite a high carbon footprint. So mm-hmm. people are thinking, I'm doing the right thing for the planet, well-intentioned, and that's, this is why a lot of people go down that road, but mm, you do a little bit more um, research into it and you find actually not so much. I find it fascinating. To me, the um, you know the, these sort of products that we a lot of people are putting an awful lot of time and effort and money into that are trying to replicate the the sort of taste and the flavour and texture, for instance, of of real red meat. Um, a lot of the time, as you say, they are ultra processed and having to take um, ingredients from all around the world that have had high energy input to, to get them into those sort of purified forms and mm. then putting them back together. And actually, you know, there's been research out of Wageningen University over in the Netherlands um, that shows in many cases those products have a similar carbon footprint to the likes of the real meat and dairy that are coming out of New Zealand. Um, those are not the products that I think we should be really looking at if we're wanting to do this from an environmental impact perspective. I think they should be, we should be looking more at the more minimally processed ones where we're taking actual real whole foods and Yes, we're processing them in, in various ways, but we're not stripping them all apart and then attempting to put things back together. Mm. And I think that's where there's a real opportunity for New Zealand. I'm in this stuff, I believe, is not going down the ultra-processed route, but you know, playing on our position as you know, natural real foods. It just so happens that some of these natural real foods are going to be perhaps more fungies and seaweeds and different kinds of plants that we're putting together in really interesting and creative ways to produce delicious and nutritious food. Well, Dr. Abby Thompson, Food HQ Chief Executive, thank you so much indeed for your time and your expertise. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dom. Always a pleasure.